Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska is produced with support from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Communication and Journalism Department. UAF Kojo, tell great stories. In this episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, one woman's move to Alaska allows her the freedom and safety to explore questions about her understanding of reality, and in the process, leads her to abandon the religion she had faithfully followed for three decades. Here it is, I got the bag in my hand. I'm walking to the curb. Here comes the garbage truck. I thought for sure I was gonna be struck by lightning. I was waiting for it. I was just waiting for it. I drop it there and I stand there and I just wait. I'm just waiting for impending doom. Garbage man comes, picks up the bags and all the other stuff, throws it in the truck, drives away. Nothing happened. And I just stood there waiting. <laughs> didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I'd never done this before. Abdicating the throne. Up next on Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, I'm Rob Prince. Abandoning your religious beliefs can be a scary, lonely, and guilt-ridden experience, leaving you feeling lost in the darkness with no compass to guide you anymore. It's like scrapping the rules to football in the middle of the Super Bowl and deciding everybody's going to play hockey instead. Melanie grew up a wholly committed member of the Mormon faith and can trace the roots of her family tree back to one of the wives of Brigham Young, which made her a form of Mormon royalty. As she grew into adulthood, however, cracks began to form in the foundation of her beliefs. It wasn't until she moved to Alaska that she truly felt safe to explore her curiosity about alternative ideas on how the world works. I spoke with her in the studio about this process of abandoning a paradigm you've been so completely committed to for so long and the role Alaska played in her experience. Here's Melanie. I was insatiable. I could not get my hands on enough books. And I just was thirsty for knowledge. I wanted to read everything I had been told I couldn't read. I wanted to find out everything I'd been told I shouldn't look at. You know, it's the whole like the, 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 the allure of the banned book kind of thing that was. And, and so I, this is where I found out, wow, there were, the world is a big place. There's a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives and multiple worldviews. And not everybody's the same. Like, I, I, that's when I started getting interested in other cultures and other religions and other viewpoints that were completely different than what I had considered was even possible. Alaska was the place where that happened. For me, it's it's a special place because of that. It's always going to be, you know, my Alaska experience was my finding myself, my coming out of my shell, my discovery of the world. Um, and, and that's when I decided that that's like that was my theme, I guess, that I wanted to embrace for myself, that knowledge and learning is to be encouraged and fostered instead of like kept away where you shouldn't really look, don't ask questions, don't look too hard because we don't want you to know. And 
that's kind of what I had been raised with, where, you know, we're only going to let you know this much because this is all you need to know. And that wasn't enough for me. After a while, I was like, but I want to know. I don't want to wait till I'm dead for God to reveal all the secrets. I, can I know now? Like, can I just go read and find out? You know, I'd like to learn, you know? So then I started looking at science and other religions and other viewpoints and other cultures and other perspectives and found out, wow, there's a whole world out there. And if you piece all the pieces together, like you can get a bigger picture of what things look like instead of this narrow view of life that was all I had had until then. I was born in the 70s in Utah to a Mormon family, so that gives you uh, a good start right there. So, you know, I don't remember much of the 70s because I was small, but the 80s definitely is where I came into my own. So if you can imagine the 80s, but then overlap Mormonism onto it. <laughs> That's my upbringing right there, okay? So, and I come from a long line of proud heritage of Mormon families that have, you know, I mean, my ancestors came across the plains with the pioneers and settled Utah and, you know, built the Salt Lake City Temple and the whole nines, right? Okay, so I'd been told my whole childhood that, that I was special, that I was royalty because I was a descendant of these miraculous pioneer ancestors. And so they were all in heaven watching me, so you better not F it up because they, you know, sacrificed their lives for you to have what you have. And so, you know, my mom gave me the whole lecture all the time about how they were watching and I better not screw things up because, you know, they sacrificed and I should be grateful. Okay, so had all that pressure. Then I was the oldest of six kids, so I had to set an example for my younger brothers and sisters. So that expectation was very much there. Your brothers and sisters are watching you. You better not F it up. So a lot of pressure to conform, a lot of pressure to um, meet expectations of family and church. Um, I very much did that. Um, I, I hate to admit, but I did. I really gave it 100% to meet all of those expectations. And I did everything they told me to do. I did everything I was supposed to do. I did everything that was prescribed by the book for 30 years. Did it, okay? Can say I have totally done it. Coming to Alaska, the whole, you know, mental revolution, liberation thing, uh, was very much outside of that prescription that I came from and one that my parents and grandparents will never step out of ever or would even consider. So I did something that was way outside the norm, very much outside in the taboo realm of what you're not supposed to do in my family. So I would be considered the black sheep and actually by church standards I would be considered an apostate, which means that um, Essentially, my family and friends from that culture cannot really associate with me too closely because I am a threat to their spiritual welfare now that I have left. So I was ostracized. I was um, pretty much any, co any communication that I have with anyone I'm actually related to has become extremely um, superficial. We talk about the weather, how the kids are doing. That's the extent. It's the same conversation you'd have with an acquaintance at Fred Myers. 
okay? It's not a meaningful, connected relationship like some people have with their families. And not that I had a super strong one to begin with. It's not like I lost my entire life and self-identity when I left because I didn't have, like, the huge... um, emotional connections that some people have to their parents or their siblings. Um, And so in that respect, I didn't lose a whole lot, whereas some people would never consider because of what they would lose in that department. And I recognize that a lot of people will toe the line, even their entire lives, because they don't want to lose those relationships. Um, for me, it wasn't worth it. What, what I had in those relationships was not worth my sacrificing my life and my, and my mind. My, my current partner often asks me how long I want to live and weird questions like that. And my answer is always the same. I want to live until I'm 64. Why, the, why is that? What's, that? what's special about that number? Because I want to be able to say I lived as many years outside of that box as I did inside. Did this separation from your family, how, how long did that take? And is that something that started when you came to Alaska? Uh, yes, actually. I did, I'll admit I did have some doubts and I did have some questions when I was living on the East Coast in North Carolina prior to coming to Fairbanks. But it was not to the point where I would allow myself to really go there. Coincidentally, the thing that started the ball rolling was a book. Oh, those books. You start reading. Oh, no. And what's even more ironic is that this particular book was published by the church. I bought it from the church bookstore. Crazy. I know, right? So it's a book called The Four Zinas. And the only reason I bought the book is because Zina is one of Brigham Young's wives who I happen to be related to. Through her, that's how I'm related to Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, hence royalty. So I bought this book thinking, oh, I'm going to get closer to my pioneer ancestors and, you know, I'll increase my testimony, blah, blah, blah. So I read the book and halfway through, I am appalled and distraught. And I'm reading excerpts of it to my husband at the time and just freaking out. And we and it started this like mutual dialogue, which happened right right before we left North Carolina to come to Alaska. And so, you know, that door had been cracked right before coming here. And then once I got here and realized that Alaska was safe and that I could explore and nobody would know, you know, like I was outside of the realm. And I, when I did come to Alaska, I did find my, you know, my quote unquote church family. And, you know, that's in church terms, that's called a ward. And so I had been attending my, my ward meetings, but was not 100% committed to it. But I was doing it out of duty, out of repetition that, you know, I had gone my whole life. So it was just like, well, you would continue something you'd been doing every week for the, your entire life. But I, be, I quickly became disillusioned because I wasn't finding the, the relationships that, that would have kept me in there. And I also was reading. Oh, boy. You read and then you want to read more. So 
I, I read another book called Journey to the Center of My Soul, which was written by a couple who had been converts to the church, not born and raised like I was, but had been converted in, in later in life. Coincidentally, they were converted at a very vulnerable time right after they had lost a baby. And were told, well, if you want to be with your child in the next life, here's how to do it. So they did it. But then they found out all the things I found out later and then left the church, of course. But when I read that story, I was just like, wow, talk about through the fire and then out again. I just, wow. So that kind of changed my whole perspective, too. And, and you know, the, when I was reading the, the church-approved books, there were always those, those questions that came up that were unanswerable. And I would ask my bishop, I'd be like, I don't understand. How can you have this when this contradicts? And I, you know, well, you know, I was a person that asked too many questions. And so I, you know, I was got, I got put on the bad list or something. And, you know, they didn't want to go there, obviously. they I was a troublemaker. And then I became more of a troublemaker because I found out that somebody in the ward, not, not here in Alaska, but in my previous ward, um, had been sexually molesting children. And that was a no-go for me. I was like, nope, I was sexually molested when I was a kid. I wouldn't want anyone else to have to go through that. I just was like, nope, that's, nope, can't have that happening. And it was such a concern to me that I went to the bishop and I said, you know, and I know, everybody knows. And so what's the policy? What are you going to do about that? Is that even important? And I was told that God is going to put that person wherever he wants them and wherever they are needed and that he would do that and that it that their history wouldn't matter and that if God wanted them to to serve in the primary with the children or Sunday school with the kids whatever that's fine and I was just like what you know I was I was very much you know told that bishop you know makes the rules and lays down the law and that's that what he says goes but this was not jiving with me and I called other churches in my community at that time and asked if you had somebody in your congregation that was, you know, a known molester, would you have them working with your children at your church? They said, absolutely not. And so I thought, okay, why is it that it's okay here, but it's not okay there? Hmm. So that was like one of my first little flags, you know, that, that happened early on. And then there were other flags that happened, too, when we lived in North Carolina that, that set both my husband at the time and myself off a little bit about the inconsistencies and things that should not have happened based on people's supposed powers they were given as leaders that were just total red flags. And so it both of us started questioning. And then when we got to Alaska and realized that this was a safe place to question and to learn and to seek. We admitted to each other that we both had doubts. He told me that he'd actually been questioning many, many, many years prior to me, but was afraid to tell me for fear that I would leave him if he, if he said his real thoughts and feelings because it is completely acceptable in that church culture to leave a spouse who is not quote-unquote worthy, especially if you are a woman, because the only way you can get into heaven is being sealed to a worthy husband who can take you there. So if you're not in that situation, you better get yourself in 
fast. So it's it would have been completely acceptable, and I would have been backed by my friends, my church, my family, if I had left him because he wasn't, quote, worthy to take me to heaven. This is Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska, the abdicating the throne episode. I'm Rob Prince. Would you like to see Dark Winter Nights live and in person? Well, you've got great timing because our next live event is right around the corner. Saturday, February 29th at 7 p.m. in Lathrop High School's Herring Auditorium. Leap day, and we're leaping into some more wonderful, one-of-a-kind true stories from Alaska told live on stage by the Alaskans who experienced them. Saturday, February 29th, 7 p.m. in Herring Auditorium. There's more information at darkwinternights.com. This is Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska, the abdicating the throne episode. I'm Rob Prince. When we last left Melanie, her Mormon faith was crumbling under the weight of new discoveries she had made about the church and the world through her insatiable curiosity. Here's Melanie. I remember the last time being in the temple and just being very disappointed because I had been raised by parents who went there often to do work for people who have have passed. And I was told that every time they went, that they learned something new. And that that's how God would reveal little by little, you know, if you were worthy to go to the temple and you went, that's how you would get to learn all the secrets. And I had been doing that and hadn't and was very disappointed. And so I had been seeking answers elsewhere. And problem is, the more I looked, the more I found evidence that was not supporting what I was actually seeking, which was to, to build, to be able to prove that what I had been living my life for this whole time was real, was true. And I was finding everything to the contrary, and it was very disappointing. And I was heartbroken because it was hard to admit that I had given 30 years of my life to something that was a sham, that was turned out to be a lie, and that I'd been lied to my whole life. You know, it was, it'd be like somebody, you know, in, in your mid-30s telling you that you had been adopted and you didn't know. Nobody had told you. That was extremely difficult for me to face and to swallow and to accept because I didn't want to admit that I had wasted all my time and energy and money and effort to something that was fake. And I had raised my children in it. And I had made, I had forced them to go to church just like I had been forced. And at the time that I started really seriously questioning and reading, my son, who's the oldest at the time, was 10. And I, you know, so that's 10 years of indoctrination he'd had. And when I told him that I no longer was forcing him to go to church, that I was going to allow him the choice that he could choose, I said, Mom's decided not to continue going anymore, but you are given the choice. You get to choose. You get something I never had, and that is the ability to choose for yourself. That was not given to me. So I told him, I said, you can keep going. Um, It turned out our bishop and his family lived literally next door, and the church was like within walking distance. So there's nothing preventing him from going without me, okay? I made that clear that that was completely acceptable to choose. 
or you can choose another church, or you can choose no church at all, or you can wait till you're older and decide. Whatever. It's you. It's your choice, your life. I was not given that, but you are. He started to cry. Does this mean I'm not going on a mission? (laughs) He had already, at age 10, been indoctrinated had been programmed you will be serving a mission for the church and that's what they do they're really good at that I mean they were good enough at it to make me do it for 30 years so I mean I I was devastated at that point because I was like wow already it had already you know by age 10 had been planted I mean it very much had been for me too it was just hard to admit that as a parent to see the other side of it and that's partially why I started questioning in the first place is because I realized, you know, I had to admit to myself and it was hard to admit, but I had to realize that I couldn't look my child in the eye and say that I knew for sure that this was for real, the deal, worth giving your whole life for. I couldn't, like, I wanted to be able to say that. I did because my parents could say that. I wanted to be able to say that. I wanted to tell my kids that, but I couldn't do it honestly unless I had the backing if I had if I had the knowledge so I went looking for it I wanted it I wanted to be able to prove it I wanted to be able to say it and not just fake it not just do it because it was programmed because it was prescribed but because I really knew it and because I had really looked so I went looking but when I looked I found everything I didn't want to find. I found everything to the contrary. I found all the evidence to show that the Book of Mormon has no archaeological evidence whatsoever to back it. In fact, it has everything to the contrary. Very disappointing to find that out. I was crushed. So just, I mean, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of looking and not just in historical stuff, but like I said, scientific stuff. I I had done a lot of reading. Um, After several years of this kind of research where I just wanted to know everything, (laughs) Um, I had a lot in my head. And I realized maybe someday when my children got older, they might ask me, why did you leave? Why did you make that decision? Why such a big change? What was it? And I wanted to be able to tell them or show them why. And also because I had so much in my head, I needed to get it out on paper, so I wrote a book. And it was just really a way for me to put on paper, condense everything that I had learned and found out that were the bigger issues for me. So really, it only it, it doesn't cover my personal experience. It only covers the doctrinal issues that I had that were like the big ones for me that I had specifically researched this you know multiple sides of and then I present the evidence and well these things don't match up you know like Genesis for instance doesn't quite match up with the whole like fossil records etc how do you like well okay here's two things you can decide is this better evidence or is this you know and same thing with um, the whole Joseph Smith thing that there's been so many books written on him I mean, there's plenty you can go read about. I found out some things that were not okay with me. The whole, you know, marrying people that were already married, people that were too young, 14, whatever, the whole multiple wives thing in secret, you know, and and I wasn't really down with that, which was contrary to my heritage. So it was kind of 
controversial for me to even look or to question, especially since he was a prophet, not really supposed to question the prophet. So yeah, my family was not real excited about me leaving the church. And I knew that because I had questioned and I knew that because I had written the book that I was just days away from excommunication. So I went ahead and just removed myself. I did what's called asking for your your name to be removed from the records of the church. And I had records with the church because obviously I was born in it, I'd been married in it, I'd had my kids in it, the whole nines. So turns out I did a little internet researching, found out that somebody else had done some extensive research and found out a way around it. Thankfully, I didn't have to do the legwork to find this out myself because somebody else had done it and then posted it online. In the United States, it's one of the few countries where if a member wants to be removed, they legally have to if you form your letter in a certain way. They legally are obligated. Well, I didn't know what that you know way was until somebody posted online. And so I took their form letter and inserted my name and et cetera into the form, sent it to Salt Lake City, and then they were legally obligated to remove my name from the records of the church, which in church terms essentially means signing your ticket to hell. So I had just, you know, relinquished my my hold on heaven by taking my name off the records. So that was very gutsy, very gutsy for me to do that. But I could have only done that in Alaska. It was it was a, it was the safe place for me to step outside the box. The most poignant day for me was when you go to the temple, you are given the holy underwear or the garments, and people make jokes about it all the time, whatever. But to me, it was the whole sacred power thing, like they like they talk about, right? And I've been wearing them for, you know, 20 years or whatever. So it was a big deal for me to take them off. It was an even bigger deal to dispose of them. I had a bag of these garments in the garage that had been collecting dust for like nine or 10 months while I was pussyfooting and hum-hawing, like, do I really want to take this leap off the bridge? You know what I mean? And so one day I just decided, okay, this is it. I could hear the garbage truck coming down my street. Okay. Here it is. I got the bag in my hand. I'm walking to the curb. Here comes the garbage truck. I thought for sure I was going to be struck by lightning. I was waiting for it. I was just waiting for it. Something was going to, piano would fall on me. Something like I was just asking for absolute hell to break loose by just walking to the curb with this bag, right? I drop it there and I stand there and I just wait. I'm just waiting for impending doom. Garbage man comes, picks up the bags and all the other stuff, throws it in the truck, drives away. Nothing happened. And I just stood there waiting. <laughs> didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I'd never done this before. And I just waited and I'm like, no, nothing's gonna happen. I'm not, I'm not gonna be instantly killed on sight. Wow. I mean, like, that was so scary for me. I had never considered that I would dare do something like that. And, and I kept waiting. I waited a few more days thinking, like, surely something, the house is going to start on fire or something. <laughs> no, nothing had, absolutely nothing happened. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. It, like, it was as if it never happened. And here I am, totally freaking out 
major anxiety, you know, know, it turns out I, I can have my own life and make my own decisions and make my own choices. Wow, who'd have thought? Okay, huge revelation. Okay, everyone in Alaska is like, yeah, we knew that. Shoot. Well, I didn't come from Alaska, so I didn't know. I thought you had to do everything this way in the box. Melanie shared that story with me in our Dark Winter Nights studio. Thanks for listening to Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska, the Abdicating the Throne episode. Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince, story consultation by Lori Newfeld. Would you like to see Dark Winter Nights live and in person? Our next live show is right around the corner, Saturday, February 29th at 7 p.m. in Lathrop High School's Herring Auditorium. Leap Day. And we're leaping into some more wonderful, one-of-a-kind true stories from Alaska, told live on stage by the Alaskans who experienced them. There's more information at darkwinternights.com. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince.